Welcome home. I'm Dr. Tama, a minister, licensed psychologist, and sacred artist. And this is Homecoming, a podcast to facilitate your journey home to yourself. While I will provide weekly inspiration and mental health tips, this podcast is not a substitute for therapy. I'm so excited you're on the journey. If you want to request specific topics or share your progress, email me at homecomingpodcasts at gmail.com. Also, after you listen, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Let's begin. Well, I am excited that you all are joining us for another episode of the Homecoming Podcast. And today is one of those rare moments that I have a treat for you all. I'm excited to introduce you to who I am calling my new kindred spirit, (laughs) Michael Williams, who is the author of Stay Woke, a meditation guide for the rest of us. And I want to tell you a bit about Justin and encourage you to follow him on Instagram and Twitter. He is an author, a speaker, and top 20 recording artist. He uses music and meditation to wake up the world. By working on the intersection of music, mindfulness, and social justice, Justin has become a pioneering millennial voice for the new healing movement. We were recently on a panel together, and as soon as I heard him speak, I first of all knew I needed to get the book. So you all get the book, Stay Woke. And then I knew I needed to have him on the podcast. And then I was blessed a couple of weeks ago to be on his podcast. So we are uh, sharing communities and uh, on this journey together. Welcome, Justin. Thank you, Dr. Tema. It's such an honor yeah. to be here. And the sharing community, I mean, you were such, for people who ain't listened to her episode on my podcast, please listen, because she dropped all the gems and it was, <laughs> oh. it was such a blessing. <laughs> Oh, thank you. So this issue of mindfulness and meditation, I do have to say the endorsements on the back of the book that one of them is from John Kabat-Zinn, the founder of Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. And he says this book could be a godsend, a portal into embodied clarity, wakefulness, meaning, and action. Enter, enter, enter and trust in your capacity to flower in your own way for the sake of the world. What a beautiful endorsement. Isn't that crazy? When I got that, when I got that in my email, I screamed. I was just like, So I know we will have a range of listeners from people who already meditate regularly, uh, for people who are having challenges in the midst of coronavirus with their practice, and with people who have never even tried it before. So I want to first ask, what is meditation? Mm -hmm. That is such a good question. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think the way that I want to define that for you is in in two ways, Dr. Tema. So the first first thing that I want to say is that the biggest misconception about meditation is that people think that meditation is about relaxing, Mm. but that's actually not true at all. Meditation is not about relaxing. Meditation is about becoming more alive. Becoming more connected to your passions, more connected to your emotions, more connected to your feelings, more connected to your essential nature and your authentic truth so that we can live and act from there. And that's how we use the practice to 
to get out of toxic cycles, to step into our purpose, to step into our dharmas, to step into our calling or our gift. You know, every religion or tradition around the world has words for this, which is how it's so important. And, you know, the other way that I, I like to define it in a very practical way for people, because one thing that I always hear people say is, oh, well, I don't really meditate, but like I meditate when I write or I meditate when I bike or I meditate when I dance and I meditate when I sing. And I, I just want to get really clear on this with people here. So there's a difference between practicing mindfulness and practicing meditation. Mm. And this is not to knock anything anyone's doing. Nothing is wrong with what you're doing. But I just want to be clear about the importance of this distinction because practicing mindfulness is the art of practicing awareness and attention while doing something. And that something can be meditation, but it can also be frying chicken, mindfully <laughs> smelling the scent of the, or tofu, if that's your vibe, you know what I mean? Like mindfully smelling, or you can mindfully wash dishes. You can mindfully walk, eat, bike, swim. And, and when we do that, we often feel this state of flow come, this state of a flow that makes us feel like, oh, I'm in a meditative state. And that is fantastic and it's good and it's amazing. But practicing meditation is different. While practicing mindfulness is the art of attention and awareness while doing something, practicing meditation is about the art of attention and awareness while doing nothing. While sitting with you. So all of the attention and awareness doesn't go into what you're doing that gets you in a state of flow. It gets you into attention and awareness with who you are being. Mm. And it is from that beingness that we then change and step into our lives. And, and the last thing that I'll say here is, you know, we have so we have a really hard time and I get why, you know, like being alone with ourselves. Yeah. But if we can't be alone with ourselves, how can we ever expect to know who we really are? Authentic, mm. you know? Yeah. So, yes. And I love that distinction between from relaxing to being alive and fully present with ourselves, which as you say, there are so many reasons why we disconnect and check out. And one of the themes we talk about on the program is trauma. Um, and of course, we're in the midst of a global pandemic. Yeah. So, you know, I wanted to ask when our world is in some ways upside down, why meditate then? Yeah. So let me just first say the world's been upside down, girl. Like, <laughs> so let's start there. Okay? It's been revealed, exposed. <laughs> right, but it's, been, it's dramatic now, you know, for all of us. But I think one thing that I'll say is, is for anybody, for people of color, for LGBTQ people, for marginalized people, for women, for all these people, like for people who've grown up with any sort of trauma or oppression, systemic or, or otherwise, like we have to meditate because it is, is by going within and healing these things from within that we're actually being good ancestors and able to change the world outside of us. I think, you know, we all have these experiences in our lives where we try to change the outside world, hoping that it will heal something within. You know, I had this same journey myself. Like I grew up in a home with gunshot holes, literally on the outside of my house in the East Bay area with domestic violence and trauma and alcoholism and a lot of love in my family. I know my parents did the best they could with their capacity, but a lot of pain. And I know we all have that. And, and for me, you know, my mission when I was a kid was like, I'm gonna get out of here. I'm gonna get out. I'm gonna make better for my life. I'm gonna make better for my family. And I became this overachiever and I ended up checking every box. I checked 
every box, graduated with this full ride scholarship to go to UCLA, came out of the closet when I got to college. Now I had extra money. I was buying designer jeans with my scholarship money, you know, like <laughs> doing all these things. And my life had looked like on the outside what I thought it was supposed to be. And then I realized in this moment, and this is what brought me into meditation, is I was like, everything in my life looks exactly how I always dreamed it would look as a kid, and I'm still miserable. What mm. the hell do I do now? You know, and and so that's why we have to go within because we're not going to change. That's why we keep seeing the same crap in our world again and again and again, because it's not changing from the internal level. We're treating the symptoms every time, you know. Yeah. So important that as we face uh, acute trauma, like these individual incidents and as you're describing also the long term realities um, of oppression and stress that many times our our response is perfectionism and busyness yeah. you know that grinding culture you have to grind you have to hustle you have to lean in like because we are trying to uh grab a hold of worthiness we are yes. we are trying and as you said you can attain all of those things that people told you was going to fulfill you, were going to fulfill you. And then you get all of that, like you said, get the scholarship, get all these things that people applaud you for and discover the thing that's missing is me. Hello. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I left me behind in the race to attain. I left me behind. And so needing to really... Uh, get back uh, in touch with ourselves, come home to ourselves to reconnect. And so how, how do we meditate? Yes. Okay. And you know, one thing that I feel really called to, to add that Stuart is yes. moving for me to say, Dr. Tema is like, we're seeing this show up and play out big time in this pandemic. We're like, we're seeing this, this paradox happen where people are like, take this time to rest and pause and whatever. And then it's like, no, 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 you got to use this time to make sure you're writing your book. You're writing your script. You're getting all done. You're working out. You're going to come out of here stronger with like, you know, and like, it's just like, you right, know, and, right. and, but I think the, the beauty of it and with the practice of meditation and everything else is we, we gain the capacity to hold both. Mm -hmm. And, and that's where the real power is. It's like, I can rest and I could get shit done. I can be active and I can also take deep care for myself. And it's, um, you know, I was recently talking with, uh, an amazing part, like somebody who I work with named, uh, Dr. Sirak King. And, uh, she had said this thing, she called it the paradox of resilience. And it was really fascinating because she said like real resilience is going through pain, but e being able to still hold joy, you know, going through trauma, being able to still dance and hold excitement and like not have your excitement and your joy and your happiness be completely muted and blown out by the negative things that happen in your life. Like that is the paradox of resilience. And one of the things that is super important about meditation, which is why I say it's not about relaxing is when you sit down and get quiet to meditate, it's like being in your house and you turn everything off 
and it's super silent and all of a sudden you hear the refrigerator buzzing in the background you know and like the fridge been buzzing in the background the whole time but you just didn't hear it because it was so noisy and now you're sitting there like why is my fridge so loud you know like (laughs) and, and that's what happens when we sit to meditate the things in the background of our lives that have been pushed down and pushed down and stuffed away just for good reason like just so we could function you know are gonna come up to the surface and they're not coming up to to take you down they're coming up so that they can have awareness so that you can heal them take another action sometimes it's not just meditation that you need sometimes if a trauma or a memory or something keeps coming up it's like this is coming up not to haunt you but to show you hey maybe you need to go to therapy to work on that maybe yeah. you need to take another action you know so you know when we get into the how do we meditate I mean, that's a big question. How do you want me? How, how would you like me to answer that? So you can give one example, because I know there are multiple ways, because then I'm going to ask some of the specific strategies that you cover in the anxiety chapter. Perfect. OK, so here's a here's a really easy, simple strategy that I love for the technique in, in my book that I call freedom meditation. And one of the things that I love about this practice, and there are many styles, but this practice that seems to work for everybody is We oftentimes rely on external sources to tell us what we need to be happy and fulfilled. And this happens in so many ways in our lives. We've already talked about some of them, like in achieving and school and work. But even in our meditation practices, sometimes we go to an app and say, what mantra do I need so that I'll feel better? Or we go to anything, a class, whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I also want you to know that you have the agency and the power within you to know what you need to heal. You know, and people always say you have the answers within, but nobody ever tells us how to get within, you know? And so we're constantly without to try to figure out how to get within. So the practice that I'll, that I'll share is very, very simple. It's, you can just close your eyes for a quick moment. This is like a quickie of something that's in the book. Place your hands over your heart. This releases oxytocin into the body. And just ask yourself a simple question. What energy do I need to cultivate in my life right now to become the person that I know I'm capable of becoming? I'm going to ask that again. And just trust the first answer that comes up for you because it'll be different for everybody. What energy... Do I need to cultivate in my life right now to become closer to being the person that I know I'm capable of becoming? You know, and you'll have a word or phrase or something come up for you that's an energy that you need to cultivate in your own life. Dr. Tema, can I ask you if you had a word come up for you? Yes, my word was love, came immediately. Perfect. People will have many words. I've had people say Beyonce. I've had any, <laughs> anything works. It doesn't have to be a spiritual word. You know, it could be okay. any word. And so what you do very simply is you close your eyes and you repeat that word silently with the rhythm of your breath. So if it was love, like Dr. Tema's, you would inhale love and exhale love. And on each breath, imagining that you're pulling in love and it's literally drenching every cell of your body inside and out and covering you in love. And on the exhale, you're sending love out into the world. Because what? Of course, what you give out, Newton's law, right? What you give out is what you're going to get back. 
And so we just circulate that energy around us and around us for three minutes, five minutes. And that's an easy practice that you can drop into at any moment. What do I need now? Yeah. And circulate through that, through that, that through your body. That is beautiful. And I, I love first that distinction about us letting people know we have like a well of a reservoir, we have wisdom in us, but then how do we access it? Right. Yeah. And then what your exercise demonstrated also is the need to trust it. Cause sometimes the wisdom rises up, but then we want to ask 5 million people, what do you think? What do you mm -hmm. think? And it's like to honor what came, you know, honor what, you know, yeah. and I, I love uh, the entire book, but I want to focus some on uh, chapter 12. And one of the things you talk about is uh, our, us having obsessive thinking. <laughs> and I think especially with the virus, <laughs> we, uh, because of the unknown, we are picturing and imagining different outcomes and um, obsessing about our daily routine or, or time, the notion of time. And so share some of what you uh, give us in this chapter about how to stop, manage, deal with, uh, respond to obsessive thinking. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm, I'm so excited about in this book is like what I wanted to do was apply meditation to real practical ass things in our lives. You know what I mean? Just like things yes. that are just real, you know, mm -hmm. that we're all dealing with. And so there's these little mini practices that Dr. Tem is referring to, and, and they're like one or two pages long. And this one about obsessive thinking is one of my favorites. And one of the things that I say that's bolded in the book is that obsessive thinking is the devil's meditation. Mm -hmm. Truly. Mm -hmm. It really is because yeah. we are making the choice in that moment to focus on fear versus faith. We're choosing it. And, and sometimes it's hard to break that grip, right? But right. we get into this spiral and we're doing this right now with watching the news. Like you guys, the news is, so, I, I get that we have to be aware, but this is what I've been telling people, no matter what they say, no matter what the death toll is, no matter how long they extend this thing, no matter what worry or projections they give us, all you can do is stay home and wash your hands. Literally, like that's not changing, you know? Yeah. And so like, yeah. why, like, why, what is the real reason why we're obsessively looking at this and, and thinking about and talking about, and I'm not saying don't do it because sometimes we need to, but the obsessively part is a part we have to watch for, you know? Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and this shows up in so many other ways in our lives. You know, should I call him? Should I call her? Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I blah, blah, blah. I don't know, <laughs> calling everybody, tarot card readings, astrology readings, trying to figure out what to do. I've been there. We all been there, you know? And, and so there's a couple, there's a couple strategies that I, that I talk about in here, in here and, um, inspired for some of you guys who have heard of Brene Brown. She's, I have so much alignment with that sister. And one of the things that she says is that we're often believing the hypothetical stories that we're making up in our minds mm -hmm. instead of actually facing the facts and reality. Hmm. And that's what's often happening. Like we have to stop in the moment and go, what am I making up? Well, first we start with this. What, is, what are the unarguable, undisputable facts about the situation? And then what am I making up? Yeah. And the part that you're making up is often the part that is the part that's stressing you out. Because hmm. what I believe, and Eckhart Tolle says this all the time, is like most everything is, is just neutral. Like mm -hmm. everything just is and is neutral, but it's our opinion about how we think it should be that mm -hmm. makes it positive or negative. And then all stress 
comes from us wishing something was different than it is. Do you know what I mean? And yes. so, and so when we identify the facts, which sometimes the facts are tough, but we identify them and then identify what we're making up, then we have this freedom to go, okay, now, now what do I want to do? You know, now what do I want to do? Yeah. And and that's kind of, you know, this is a beautiful practice where you can always just close your eyes. And there's a mantra that I offer people when they're in that stuck space to just put your hands over your heart, which is an important thing that helps us drop our drop our awareness from our heads into our root of our root of love and just repeat the words. I see truth. I choose truth. Mm. I see truth and I, I choose truth. truth. I choose truth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it is so true that we create stories and often um, leap to assumptions. Right? All the I'm yeah. sure you see that in your practice all day. Right. <laughs> and so we have to like slow down and say, wait a minute, how did you get there? Right. Because it's like, oh, well, they didn't speak to me. So then that's, you know, how I made this this leap. And the story that we're telling ourselves is often based on our worst moments because we want to be prepared for the bad. Um, but then it also makes it difficult for us to appreciate and breathe into the moment yeah. of the, because of the vigilance, right? Of I have to anticipate all of the disasters. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I like that distinction between what is versus what is the story I'm putting on what is. Yeah. And then I love how you address money. <laughs> mm -hmm. because uh, so often people are it's one of two things either they are shamed about the the need for uh financial resources and stability or um it is prosperity is equated with spirituality right like if right. you're a spiritual being then you'll be able to draw all this so if you don't have it like you didn't meditate enough or you, right, you did something wrong enough. yeah and you deal with the realities um, around money, uh, while not idealizing money, but recognizing it as a resource. So talk some about, because many, most people now are very stressed financially. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is, this, this is a time that we've all, you know, I've had more than half of my year get canceled of, of tour wow. and speaking gigs. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's a challenging time for everybody, you know, mm -hmm. but it's also reminding us, I will never forget. This is one thing that I'm so grateful that my grandmother told me when I was younger, when I was starting my business, she just said, you just please, no matter how successful you get, no matter what's going on, cause she kind of saw me on this rise, please remember that money is not your God. Mm -hmm. Like, please yes. remember. And I always hear that in my yeah. head, you know, and it's not to, I think the thing that's unfolded for me with that is that it's not about demonizing money, mm -hmm. right? That it's a bad thing. Right. Cause you know, this quote that I was here, like it's more likely for a rich man to blah, 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 whatever the Re thing in the yeah, Bible is. Harder to, for him to get into heaven. Yeah. Than, uh, something to go through an eye of a needle or something. Yes, and, and you know, camel. like, Camel. That's it. That's yeah. what I thought. And and so I just remember as a kid thinking that like, oh, my God, well, you don't want to be rich because then you ain't going to go to heaven, you know, and that's <laughs> what it's about. And right. what it's about is the intention that's behind it. And, and one of the things that I name in the book that's really interesting when I was doing research on this was that people say that money doesn't buy happiness, but 
all the actual research shows that it does actually <laughs> like, and so, but only up to a certain dollar amount. And I think this is really freeing for, for us, especially people who are struggling with money, because what the studies show is that up to, I think it is about $75,000 on average in the United States per household, the amount of money that you get does increase your happiness every time you get more money. And it's just because it's a quality of life thing. And then the quality of life helps you feel more happy and free. But the interesting thing is after about $75,000, then the amount of happiness that you get per dollar doesn't really change that much. So like the difference between making $20,000 a year and $50,000 a year is a lot of happiness, but the difference between making $75,000 a year and $300,000 a year actually isn't that significant. And mm -hmm. and so the reason why this is important is because people will, like you said, demonize this, you know, and I'm like, get your bag, like get the <laughs> money, you know? And, and what I try to encourage people to do is do it in a way that doesn't cut at your spirit if you can't, yes. yeah. you know? And like, you don't have to feel bad that you are trying to build security and stability for your life mm -hmm. so that you can blossom and grow from there. Yeah. Yes. It That's wonderful. And I want to hit on one more, which is yeah. trouble sleeping. Oh, goodness. I've been having so much trouble sleeping. It's Dr. so hard. And I think also yeah. because the, the schedule for the next day is off because people don't necessarily have to be up at a certain time. Yeah. And then just all of the worries. So, yeah. How can we? Uh, OK, so I have for, for everybody who gets the book or has the book, I, I have these audio guided practices that are completely free that you can oh, listen wonderful. to. Wonderful. And this is, and there are like 50 of them that you can listen through. And there's one in here specifically for this trouble sleeping one that's called a body scan. And it's, this is interesting. I don't typically have trouble sleeping. This whole month, I have been having the hardest time staying asleep. Yeah. I get up like three or four times a night. When I lay down, I'm tired and my mind's going, even though I do all the things before bed to try to calm down. But the thing that has helped and worked for me is this simple practice called a body scan. So you lay down in whatever position's comfortable for you, on your back, on your side, in a position where you feel like you could fall asleep there and you wouldn't have to move. And then you start with your hands. Well, actually, if you're doing it on your own, I'll recommend that you start at the top of your head. When I guide people through it in the audio, I start with your hands. But you just start at the top of your head and you consciously bring awareness and relax every single part of your body with each exhale. So you'll be scanning your body and you'll be like this, okay, inhale, exhale, relax my head. And then you go down, inhale, exhale, relax my forehead. Inhale, exhale, relax my eyebrows. It's that's that each little part. And you don't have to obsessively do, oh, I skipped a, it's just kind of like working your way down eyes, nose, top lip, bottom lip, jaw, chin, neck, shoulders, chest, you know, all the way down to your toes. And you do each finger and each toe separately. Usually you won't finish. You'll probably get to like, you know, your elbow and be knocked out. You know what I mean? Um, but, and so that's a really good way. It's actually scientifically proven. It's a practice that they, um, I think UC Berkeley did a study on it um, that helps people relax and sleep. So that's wonderful. Yeah. And, and, you know, in order to do that scan, people need to lay down because I think yes. sometimes 
that w- people can't sleep. So then they get up and turn on the TV and go make a snack, and, oh. you know, so then we're uh, in intensifying our alertness versus allowing our bodies uh, to release. Well, there's this actually, I'm, I'm actually looking up to make sure I say the title of the book the right way. So there is a book that I read yep, called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker that has changed my whole life perception on sleep. And a couple of real practical things that I don't include in the book, but that yeah. I actually use and that are science-based is number one, First and foremost, you have to get off the screen an hour before bed. Like that is proven to affect your sleep and your ability to fall asleep dramatically. And so an hour before bed, what I've been doing during this quarantine is like, taking myself on a little date every night. Like, what would I do if I was trying to like romance myself? Because I'm quarantined all alone, okay? Right. Here, literally all yeah. by myself. And so yeah. I'll, you, I'll like light candles and meditate or read a book or, mm-hmm. you know, listen to music. I listened yes. to Brian Carey's whole Emancipation of Mimi album the other night. Yes. And just, but not doing anything else, just laying there and listening and singing mm-hmm. and then go to sleep. And the second thing is, and this is counterintuitive, if you can't sleep, and you're in bed and you're tossing and turning and tossing and turning, you can't sleep, the best thing to do is actually get up and get out of bed. Mm, If you're not sleeping, yeah. If you're not sleeping is to get up, get out of bed and do something that's not on a screen. Okay. And then it'll usually kind of get your body into a different state so that you don't train yourself to be restless in bed. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the, those are two little tips that I, that I use. Yes. Very good. So if you're laying to do the body scan, if you're getting up, not going to your devices. Yes. 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 Very, very good. So I do want to ask, it's not in this chapter, but because it's one of the, you are one of the few people that address it as it relates to meditation and mindfulness and wokeness, um, is this thought around activism. Mm-hmm. Can you uh, just speak to that briefly? Yeah. So, you know, one of the big things that I think, uh, not that I think that I know is that across every tradition of meditation, every single tradition, one thing we can all agree upon is that meditation is about awareness. And right now, awareness, if we're really being fearlessly aware of what's happening in the world, awareness is calling us to get our asses up off our meditation cushions and take action, action for our lives, action for our families, action for our community, action for the planet, action for one another, and most importantly, action for people who can't take action for themselves. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of spiritual bypassing that's happened in the world as it relates to meditation Mm -hmm. and mindfulness. And, And the reason is because it would have to, because a lot of this stuff originally, not originally, I'll say has, has been popularized in the West by white men, you know? So of course they don't have, sorry, of course they don't have this context that we have around service and around what it means to deeply be in community and to be dealing with racism or marginalization or social injustice. And so, and there are plenty of, of white people and black people and every color in between doing great work now. I do believe that, but it's, I think a lot of these spiritual practices started in a way that were really framed for people with privilege. It's like, okay, let me just, I mean, what's the most privileged thing you can say other than let me just sit here and do nothing and manifest <laughs> and everything that I want is going to manifest in front of me. Right. Sure. 
If yeah. you, I mean, if you're on the top of the totem pole, I'm mm-hmm. sure that does work like that for you. Right. You know? Right. And so, and so when we meditate and when we're not bypassing the realities of what's happening in the world, we mm-hmm. cannot help but take action. And that's really what the goal of this book is for me, is to help us take action for ourselves, for our families, for our communities, and for the planet. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Thank you. That is soul food. That is soul food for Mm -hmm. us. And I want uh, you to share how people can tune into your podcast, your music, your books, and just follow you. Thank you, Dr. Tema. So a, a couple things that I'll share is, um, number one, the book is called Stay Woke, A Meditation Guide for the Rest of Us. You can get it anywhere. Um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, it's on Audible. I'm reading it, which is really fun. Oh, and how wonderful. Yeah. So there's there's lots of ways to get the book. And um, the audiobook or the ebook is probably the fastest way right now because of mm-hmm. what's happening with the quarantine. But Amazon is delivering it. Usually, I've heard a lot faster than they're saying they are okay. on their delivery estimates. So so that's one um, on social media and everywhere. I'm at We Just Will. You can just search Justin Michael Williams, which is my name, and find it. And the last thing that I, I find really important to mention is what I was doing before the quarantine was I was actually on my book tour. And the, what we're doing with the book tour is completely non-traditional. Um, instead of going to kind of affluent neighborhoods and going to these ritzy bookstores, we decided to go to high schools and colleges in some of the most impacted cities in the United States, places like Flint, Michigan, Atlanta, Georgia, Oakland, Southside Chicago. And we're going to schools, we're doing these huge assemblies, teaching all the kids how to meditate, especially because, you know, studies are showing kids are facing a level of PTSD that's similar to returning war veterans coming back from Iraq right now, but they're facing it every day. So there's nothing post about it. And we're trying to give them tools that help them deal with what's happening in their lives. And we're surprising all the kids and giving every kid in the student body free books. And so what we're, we paused the tour while this is happening. We're doing some stuff online, but we're picking up hopefully in the fall and through next year. And we want to get to as many schools as we possibly can. And we've raised over $195,000 to go to 14 schools. Oh, how and so, beautiful. yes, it's just amazing. So we're putting, we've put together this amazing website where you can donate. It's, it's, per child to get this Mm -hmm. to a child, or you can donate more. It's whatever you can afford. Even a dollar helps. And the website is staywokegiveback.org. It's staywokegiveback.org. And it's uh, all completely backed by my publisher's foundation, the Sounds True Foundation. So all your donations, you immediately get a tax receipt because it's tax deductible. So really appreciate that. So we can get this information to the kids who really need us right now. Wonderful. Thank you so much for embodying what you're teaching and leading and living by example. Uh, It is inspiring and it's contagious. So I am grateful to have shared you uh, with the audience on today. And I would just like to say to the audience now, as you take in our decision to come home to ourselves, that I invite your soul to tell your heart mind, body, and spirit, welcome home. 